This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. show should be where'd it go where'd it go everywhere pretty good song by Fleetwood Mac great song by Tim McGraw it accurately describes where we are going with this episode of Late Kick Live we're jam-packed high atop a vibrant downtown Nashville Tennessee it is Sunday April 23rd the year of our Lord 2023 spring games everywhere transfer portal intel everywhere breaking news in mere moments so kind of everywhere Uh, we've also got New rules everywhere. We got a lot of stuff going on everywhere in this sport, and there are some in our midst who still dare to use the O word. I was so disappointed. As I came back from Columbus, I had a little sabbatical. I went home to do some public speaking, and I watched some of the spring games on replay last night and this morning, and I was very disappointed, including in some play-by-play brethren who I know good and well listen to this show that you guys use the O word, knowing full well there's no off-season, and yet you said it anyway. So, shame on you, but we're not perfect. We are, however, here to work together to get through the, according to my math, 131 days between us and week one Saturday. And there are some week zero shenanigans going on this year, if you're so inclined. They're watching us in Wichita, Kansas. Rhonda, North Carolina. Oakland, California tuned in. Rest in peace, A's. And Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Quick housekeeping note before we dive into the show tonight. (sighs) Talks extended well into the morning, but we could not come to an agreement with the NFL. They are still going to have the draft this Thursday. So we are going to move this week's Late Kick Live to Tuesday. So we will have the show on Tuesday instead of Thursday, which means you'll get the Late Kick Extra Pod on Thursday instead of Tuesday. Uh, We're flexible. It's like, like we call it accordion scheduling. You could expand it and compress it as you need to. So I got a lot of papers in my hand, which means we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. Tuesday, that's when the next episode is. In the meantime, got one request as we dive into the show tonight. Since we are 131 days away from us going on our week one tour, or maybe 129 days, we'll see. But since we are around 130 days, That means we got to come up with a tour name. So it's time. I am officially opening the inbox. The DMs are open. The email inbox is open. The live chat is open. I'm taking submissions. We had the Renaissance Tour two years ago. We had the Every Given Saturday Tour last year. We need a tour name for this fall. Get creative with it. If your idea is not good, just make that be a rough draft. Wait and send me your final product. We got a lot of really good feedback from you guys in the focus group. I appreciate it. Now it's time to get real. It's time to send in tour names. So with that in mind, let's dive into the show tonight. (coughs) Charity cough. We got new rules everywhere. And a lot of folks wanted to know what I thought about it. So here we are. We're finally at Sunday. And it's the first time I've spoken to you since college football passed the new rules. And there are three of them. But I think we already know what those are. And if you don't, I'll get to them in just a second. You see them on the screen now. In fact, let's go ahead and tell you what the new rules are. So of course. The clock runs after a first down, except inside two minutes. Pretty much the NFL rule. Teams cannot call back-to-back timeouts. Also, penalties at the end of the first quarter and third quarter don't require an untimed down. The latter two are very nebulous. No one really cares. You won't really notice it. And the first one, there's a 
a little bit more angst, a little bit more consternation around. But I'll get to the specifics in a second. I wanted to remind you, college football, in many cases, is run by the unsneakiest group of sneaky people that you will ever come across. Do you remember a few months ago when this report first came out? It was, I think it was Ross Dellinger, friend of the program, at SI, and he came out and he said, there are three, no, there are four potential rule changes on the table. They knew they were going to get pushback on this. Okay, College football, like I said, college football is run by the most unsneaky group of sneaky people in the world. They knew they were going to get some pushback on rule changes. And so what they did is they did uh, one of three things you could do. If you know you're going to get pushback on something, what are your options? Well, you could either just not do that thing, or you could brace yourself, or you could do what college football's unsneaky, sneaky group did. They just go the Overton window route. And what that means is they throw out something ridiculous, blend it in with the things they actually want to pass, and then they chop the ridiculousness off at the last minute, sounding like they appeased you. Here's what that looks like in real time. You put those three rules that we actually got passed in there. So no untimed down at the end of a first or third quarter. You got uh, no consecutive timeouts. Clock runs after first downs. Yeah, those just got passed. But what was the fourth one? Remember back in February, what was the fourth one? You remember all the uproar about how it was going to fundamentally transform the game if we had running clock after incomplete passes? Anyone remember that? Anyone remember this very program where I told you why that was thrown into the batch? Anyone remember me talking about the Overton window, which is a concept normally reserved for political talk? But trust me, political types are the types that are in the back rooms making these sorts of decisions. They know how the Overton window works. Thankfully, we never have to talk about it on shows like this. But it is out there, and sure enough, as I told you they were going to do, they threw out the fourth ridiculous parameter, knowing full well they could come back to the table a few months later, passing the three they needed to pass, and say, hey, we listened, we heeded your feedback, and we got rid of that fourth rule. There, compromise. See how it works? Uh, they didn't compromise with you at all. So how do I feel about this? Apparently, according to my DMs, a lot of you wanted to know how I felt about this. Well, I'm not crazy about the rule changes. I'm not outraged by them. The rule changes in and of themselves are fairly innocuous. Yes, it does change the game a little bit to have the clock run after first downs, except inside two minutes. That does shave the game down. It shaves possessions down. It shaves total plays down. Uh, for the record, that's what it's intended to do, whether you and I like it or not. But it just it doesn't completely upend the sport as we know it. I'll grant you that. It's not the rule changes themselves that cause your blood to boil a little bit. It's not until you take your hand and you peek behind the curtain and you move from the what to the why that you start to feel a little angry because it really just harkens back to a lot of what rubs you and I the wrong way about this sport in general, and that is the wrong people have their hands on the wheel. So again, these rule changes in and of themselves, it's not cause to light your torch and grab your pitchfork and march on NCAA rules headquarters. That's, that's not how I feel about this. Now, some of you were a little more upset about it, and if you feel that way, you feel that way. I just want to redirect your attention uh, to what the core issue is, if you, if you feel that this is an issue. The issue is that these changes have nothing to do with appeasing fans. And contrary to what they would look you in the eye and tell you, these changes have nothing to do with player safety either. Since they're not in the room to represent themselves, allow me to represent their argument for them. <clears throat> but Josh, yes, we are looking out for the safety of players. Are you? How are you looking out for the safety of players? Well, thank you for the question. We'll tell you. We're looking out for the safety of players because we are limiting the amount of total plays in a game, therefore, hold on, let us finish, therefore, limiting the total amount of exposure to potential violent collisions. Now, what do you think about that? And then I look back at them. I would probably ask if they were finished, courtesy. And if they said they were finished, I would say, you're the same people about to ask teams to potentially play 17 games to win a national title, right? You're the same folks who are about to expand the playoff and 
therefore ask teams to play more games, right? They wouldn't have an answer. If you haven't noticed, these people are rarely ever on the record. These people rarely ever have to actually answer for these decisions. But there's a third party in the room, okay? So far, I'm just debating heads up. This is an A-B conversation. And then C walks in the room. And you know Mr. C. Mr. C is the dude who didn't get enough attention growing up. And so he just talks to hear himself talk. And so Mr. C is the kind of person who walks in and says, well, well, maybe they're just ahead of the curve. Maybe college football, the powers that be, learned from baseball. Look at how much better the Major League Baseball product is now. Look at how that could ultimately revive viewership. And you do have agreement with me if you're saying baseball has been bettered as a viewing product by the pitch clock, pitch count. You got me on that one. It's just that you don't have me on the argument because it's apples to bowling balls in terms of a comparison. Baseball, you could just put on a sheet of paper. You can pop the paper if you wanted to. You could put on a sheet of paper in five minutes how the flow of baseball had cost them viewership. No one's leaving college football because of the length of games. No, and if there is someone, Mr. C, for example, if Mr. C does pipe up and say, I hate these four-hour games, first thing you need to do is ask him, how many four-hour games are you really watching? The answer is not many, not many at all. There are exceptions to the rule. Let me, let me just go ahead and save you the time. You don't need to pull up the four-hour, 11-minute OU Texas game or something like that. I know there are exceptions to the rule. The general rule of thumb is there's not that much overflow already, and if there is, it's not because the game time itself is that much more lengthy. It's because you added about six-minute blocks of commercial break and ad break in there. We all know that. No one's stupid here. Everyone knows the game's overflow because there's more ad structure in a game today, in a broadcast today, than there was 20 years ago. Certainly, it is not within the realm of believability that anyone is going to sacrifice a nickel in profit to better the game. So in turn, we have to pretend that we're moving for player safety in shortening these games. And all the while, everyone kind of knows what it's about. And if you don't know what it's about, to be very clear, two things are in play here. Number one, I don't, I don't know if this is going to come as a surprise to you, but money is at the heart of this decision in two different ways. One, no one wants to shave ad revenue off of their broadcast. Full disclosure, I work at a company at CBS in which I get to make a handsome living talking about this sport in large part because of those large media rights deals. So if it sounds hypocritical, it sounds hypocritical. Um, that's the first thing. Not going not gonna to sacrifice any ad revenue, but we have to shorten the games because we do have to fit into windows. And then there's the second part. And the second part has to do with something of a little bit more litigious nature. That's just fancy word for stuff that happens in a courtroom. There are constantly legal battles happening around the sport of college football. You rarely see them, but they're playing out all the time. Every single month, they're playing out. And it has to do with head trauma, and it has to do with lawsuits being filed against the NCAA, and sometimes it gets settled, sometimes it goes to court. They have to have enough ammunition to be able to step into that environment, not on a TV screen, but in a courtroom, and to be able to show tangible evidence that, look, we've made changes. That's why the targeting rule is not going away, no matter how much it aggravates you or I. And that's also why they need to do things like shaving eight to 12 plays per game on average out of a football game, because they, they can use that to hopefully circumvent just, just a flood of outgoing revenue in the form of paying off lawsuits. So yeah, money is always at the forefront of these decisions, but I had like five people that I saw come at me over the weekend with the whole seemingly apples to apples, will it work for baseball comparison? Yeah, it worked for baseball. Baseball needed it to work. Baseball was dragging. Baseball was actively bleeding viewership because of the flow of their game. College football wasn't bleeding any viewership because of that. So it was, a, it was a crisis that was manufactured almost wholesale. Like I said a few months ago, and like I'll reiterate, 
I do a national college football show for a living. We do this thing year-round. I make myself as accessible as, as any national figure out there, or at least I like to think I do. None of you guys ever ask me about this. None of you ever complain to me about the length of games. And if, if one of you do, you're, you're drowned out 100 to 1 by people who say, don't touch it. Don't change a thing about this. We're fine with it. We wait and wait and wait. I've got a countdown on a piece of paper in front of me. Uh, we're, we're outside of 130 days until the kickoff of week one, and we're already counting down. You actually think I care if a game goes nine minutes longer than it's formatted to go once they get here? Of course I don't. Of course you don't. And anybody who actually does make this a sticking point is a casual of the highest nature who is not in what we would call the core audience. You're not losing any kind of worthwhile chunk of viewership because your, your game was supposed to go off at 3.30 and it went off at 3.36. This is not MacGyver. This is Texas Tech versus Baylor. And sometimes these things happen. I'm sorry, but hey, as long as we're being told it's in the player's best interest, it makes me, makes me able to sleep at night. We got to move on. <coughs> there you go. Token cough number two. We got to move on because we have breaking news. I call it breaking news. It's happened in the last hour and a half or so. Okay, so transfer portal, a lot going on. Still got a few more days in the spring window until it closes. And I, via the post-it pop in my hand right now, have breaking news that is not breaking if you've been watching this show. Uh, Bear Alexander has transferred to USC. That's official. So he was at Georgia. And he was a former top 50 player, and he transferred out of there. He actually announced his departure during their spring game, for whatever that's worth. Uh, not many a tear was shed in Athens. So I told you at the time, I didn't think it was going to be a massive impact negatively against Georgia, but I do think he's going to go to USC. And if he does go to USC, I think it'll be a major get for them. Because he played last year at Georgia. This was not a guy that was buried on the depth chart. He just probably wasn't playing at the level that he wanted to or getting the volume of snaps he wanted to, but that's just a depth thing. That just means you're surrounded by future NFL draft picks. That's life at Georgia. You do not have that along the defensive front at Southern Cal. So he's going to go out there, probably will be a plug and play. That's a former four-star defensive lineman from IMG. Uh, you know, 6'3", uh, 305, you know a lot about his accolades because most of you follow recruiting and you knew about him coming out of high school. So this is a big move that's happened just this afternoon. It's, I think, probably you would say the biggest, the biggest name that has gone in and come out of the portal so far in the second cycle. Now, I got a guy who also has committed today. Belcher, this happened today, right? The tight end happened today. Yeah, Belchie's here because um, this is the Producer Jesse Memorial Show. He's still alive. He's just out sick, and so we're dedicating the show to him. Rest up, Jesse. Varkis Gums, remember when I told you about that name? And then remember how I asked you, has anyone ever heard of him? And only one person told me they had heard of him. It's, it's fair because he played tight end for North Texas. Not anymore. He's headed to Arkansas or Kansas as Les Miles once famously said. This was the tight end I told you to watch because I think he's going to be an immediate difference maker and would be on most any roster that he joined. 6'3", 235. He set North Texas tight end records for receiving yards and catches last year. Very active, very versatile. First team all-conference USA. He went in there, made his mark. This is going to be a very, very familiar story. Uh, guys go to maybe a lower tier of school, they shine, they get the attention of programs that pass them over the first time around in recruiting, and then they have their choice of said programs, and Varquez Gums did just that. So he's headed from Denton, Texas to Fayetteville, Arkansas. Really big get for anyone, so it's just not just an Arkansas thing, it's a really big get for anyone. Former three-star guy from Houston. They have a lot of talent down there, so it's understandable that every cycle or so, there's going to be four or five names that just escape the, uh, the threshold, the, the giant tier one, tier two safety net. Then they just show up a year later. Uh, there's another guy like that at Oklahoma right now I'm going to talk about later in the show. Lorenzo Styles, though, is another name I need to talk to you about. 
Uh, let's do, actually, Marcus Washington. You guys were right, Colin. I was wrong. Sorry about that. Marcus Washington has entered the portal. That is a four-star corner, former four-star corner. He was in the class of 2022, 6'1", 185. Not a big deal, just too much depth. This is, what, the seventh Georgia player, I think, to hit the portal this spring. It's, it's going to be an every-year thing with them. This happens with Ohio State. happens with Bama. The list is not that long because there aren't too many rosters that look like this. But that actually, as much as it was the news of the day, is not the news that's resonating with me. So I said it, you know, Marcus Washington has entered the portal, but Brock Vandergriff is not. And I didn't even tell you guys I was going to talk about this, so just bear with me for a minute. But Brock Vandergriff is the quarterback there who's been battling Carson Beck. And I talked to you right after Georgia's spring game, and I said, if I had to bet, I would lean more heavily, yes, he'll enter the portal, than no, he won't. Well, I was wrong. Brock Vandergriff is not entering the portal, and he made it official over the past week, since the last time we did a show. You know how big that is? Immunity. That's a big deal for Georgia, because Vandergriff, I don't think, is going to start at Georgia. I think Carson Beck will. Most people there do. But quarterback depth is invaluable. And here's the other thing. That means he's not going to be playing for someone else. And even though he couldn't have transferred in the SEC and played immediately, man, he could have gone somewhere else where maybe they would have seen you down the road. And at the very least, even if it didn't impact Georgia one way or the other, he could have transferred somewhere and been a deciding cog in the wheel of maybe a conference championship contender or maybe a playoff contender. Because he's, he's probably that good. And so I think he graduates this December. So, you know, Brock Vandergriff, he made his decision. I just, I didn't want to gloss that over because we mentioned it on the last show. It mildly surprised me when he said, yeah, I'm going to stick it out. Good for him. Good for him. Lorenzo, okay, now we can talk about Lorenzo Styles. Interesting story out of Notre Dame. This is a 6'1", 192-pound wide receiver. He's from the class of 2021. He was ranked in the 130s, I think 133 overall as a player back then. Okay, so why is this interesting? I remember his recruitment, and I remember, I think it was Wilt Fong, maybe. 50-50 odds. But I was talking to one of our recruiting guys at the time, and there was a big question about whether Lorenzo Styles was best suited to play wide receiver or defensive back at the college level. Very normal conversation that happens with guys like him. You hear this dozens of times every cycle. He wanted to play wide receiver. Most college staffs thought that he was better suited in the long run to play defensive back. So he goes to Notre Dame. They give him a shot to play wide receiver. He was second on the team in receptions last year. He played in all 26 games the past two years. Not a star by any stretch, but a contributor. Okay, so then they come into spring. Little discontentment. Some people up there thought he may be in the portal before spring. He wasn't. He goes through spring ball, comes out of spring ball. He's in the portal. And it sounds like he just doesn't want to be at Notre Dame anymore. So our folks over at Irish Illustrated have done some good reporting on this. They've, they've got every I dotted, every T crossed. If you ever need anything Notre Dame related, irishillustrated.com is your one-stop shop. But several programs are interested here. It sounds like, and this is why I mentioned all that, Sounds like he is willing to go play defensive back now, which means in your mind, you'd probably think, okay, well, why doesn't he just try his turn at defensive back at Notre Dame? Well, two reasons. Number one, it sounds like he doesn't want to be there. And that's really the only reason we need. But the other reason is not just a guarantee that he'd start over there either. So it looks like Michigan, Florida, Auburn, Wisconsin, uh, Penn State, couldn't read my own writing there for a second, Penn State, all of those have reportedly expressed interest. That's not an exhaustive list. Those are just the ones we know about right now. Uh, last, last name here that I want to talk to you about, I don't have a ton of intel on. There's just something funny about it. Lance Robinson is an interior offensive lineman. I, I don't think probably a lot of you know that name. But he played at Houston. So he's entered the portal. And it's notable, not because he's 6'2", 290, not because their offensive line coach got dismissed in January. It's because after that offensive line coach got dismissed, Lance Robinson has now become the seventh offensive lineman 
to hit the portal from Houston since then. Not offensive player, friends. The seventh O-lineman to hit the portal. Are they going to play seven on seven in Houston this fall? This is not exactly the headline I want to read as you're about to enter Power 5 competition. Uh, the offensive line market's always interesting. Now, Lance Robinson played, uh, I think, defensive end in high school. He was like 250, 255 then. 6'4", 290 now. Started 11 games last year. Got three years of eligibility remaining. And like I said with the offensive line market, anytime someone sneezes in that thing, half the country looks and says, someone say, someone say offensive lineman? What happened? So there's, there's not going to be any shortage. Doesn't even matter if your average is grits, as Meemaw would say. I, there's not going to be any shortage of attention because no one out there looks around their offensive line room and says, yeah, we're, we're not interested. We're, we're just full over here. Even if you are full, you never say that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The one place where I truly think you could look around and say, we got everything we need here. Academy Sports and Outdoors. One-stop shop is a sentence I've already used, or I guess a phrase I've already used in the show so far, but let me just, let me just use it one more time. One-stop shop. What do we think about that? Well, for me, look, I, I, I am not a very, very high-maintenance person, so my bar for you being a one-stop shop outfit is pretty low for me. I can certainly get everything I need at Academy, but I would argue, even if you do live a little more refined lifestyle, Academy Sports and Outdoors, they've got you. And the reason I know that, if you're an outdoorsy type at all, or if, if you're into grilling at all, or if you're just recreational at all, they've got what you need. And if they don't, they get you like 90% of the way there. You've got like grilling cookware there. You've got footballs there. You've got cones there, frisbees there, bikes there, tents there. Uh, I always selfishly like to remind you in the checkout line, they have Big League Chew, which is, you know, next to, te- next to sliced bread and like the Roman aqueduct system. Can anyone honestly tell me that we as humans have come up with a better concept than Big League Chew? Come on now. Academy Sports and Outdoors, uh, they are one-stop shop. They are our official partner. And they have our back, always have, and they've got your back too. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com is where you want to go. Two shows ago, Director Colin and I had a very, very quick chat. I'm pointing to the doorway we had it in right over here. You can't see it. But it was thought that I wasn't going to make it through the show. Allergies had attacked me. And since then, they've subsided a little bit. Uh, the good news is that night, we never had to dump the show. I, I never had to give the secret hand signal that Director Colin and I have worked out. And therefore, I think I took, you know, like one or two extra sips from the chalice, you know, maybe <coughs> every now and then, but largely we made it through, although I sounded like I had a hedgehog in my throat. And I mention this because I have got a cough that has just been sitting there for 27 minutes and six seconds and counting. And Colin, I can't do anything about it. So I, it's, not, it's not like we're going to stop the show. I just want a little sympathy. That's all I want from you. We had so many spring games yesterday that I don't know where to start. Actually, I do. Let's talk about Alabama. Quarterback situation, unsettled. Ty Simpson, Jalen Milrow. Hey, we saw the two younger guys get involved there as well. Unsettled. Now, this is one of those situations where I started getting feedback from my friends before I watched it myself. And the feedback I got from my Bama brethren 
led me to believe I was going to watch a five-alarm disaster of an afternoon offensively. And then I watched it. And I watched the offensive snaps twice. And one would argue in a spring game, an offensive snap is a defensive snap. But you get what I'm saying. I watched these guys. I watched Milrow and Ty Simpson. I watched every snap they took twice. I must have just watched a different game. I may have been on a different planet. I didn't think it was a bad afternoon at all when accounting for what the structure of the game is. So you have, um, if you're a Bama fan now, over the past few years, you went from Hertz to Tua to, to Mac Jones to Bryce Young. All these guys are like first round draft guys. All these guys are Heisman conversation guys. So yes, there's a high standard at quarterback there now. I got to be honest with you, which is better than saying, frankly, I got to be honest with you. I don't think you need that at quarterback this year. If the wins that I am feeling out of Tuscaloosa are accurate, I don't think you're going to need a guy that hangs the kind of numbers Bryce Young did. I don't think you're going to need a guy that puts up the kind of performance that Mac Jones did in 2020. It would be nice. And maybe one of these guys has that in his ceiling. But if you look at the way they're putting that offensive line together, if you look at guys like Justice Haynes being one of approximately 14 tailbacks that are serviceable or plus for Alabama, I think, as I told you in December, Nick Saban has looked around both at his past teams and then at what Georgia just did and said, well, if that right there still works, I know how to do that better than anyone. I made the shift in the 20 teens because I thought the sport was going that way. And I was just going to be better at it than everyone. And I was. But man, if we can still play that kind of just sledgehammer offense and we can marry it with some of those passing concepts that we've come to know and love around here, that's what we're going to do. And the reason I mention that is to provide context. When you look at Jalen Milrow, and Milrow in a scrimmage setting is always going to be hamstrung because he doesn't get to use his legs. So you never get to see who he actually is, which is why I probably have more confidence in him coming out of yesterday than I did just listening to practice reports about whether he may very well end up being the starter there. I don't think it's decided by any stretch, uh, but the difference is I had some folks tell me, "Uh uh-oh, two quarterbacks means you got none, one of the dumbest sayings in all of football. I think they have two they can win with. That's what I thought. And the reason is because of the other couple of 10 names I'm about to mention. Justice Haynes, stud, immediate impact guy, true freshman tailback. Caden Proctor, I think you'll end up starting at left tackle for him. That's him, if you're watching on screen. We spent an inordinate amount of time talking about him. For those unfamiliar, that's the kid who decommitted from Iowa last minute and committed to Bama. And we spent a bunch of time talking about him. So much so that some folks said, Josh, aren't you spending a little too much time talking about him? Well, did you watch him play yesterday? Because he looks like he's been playing for uh, the New York Giants for four years. He looks like he's about to be on his second contract in the NFL. 6'7", 340, I think is what they listed him at. Gigantic. True freshman. He, I don't even know if he's 18 yet. True freshman. I think he'll start at left tackle for him. I, I talked to a couple of folks around Alabama who said they thought that was already trending that way, but it probably went a long way in becoming solidified yesterday. Caleb Downs was also on the field for them. Number two. Believe he played in Crimson yesterday. Minka Fitzpatrick, according to some folks around Bama, is the best overall high school prospect they've ever had, regardless of position. They have never compared anyone to him. They just reserve that. It's almost like it's sacrilege to make that comparison. Then Caleb Downs comes in and they started comparing him to Minka Fitzpatrick. I have rarely heard Nick Saban speak as glowingly about true freshmen, plural as I've heard him talk about Downs and Justice Hayes, Haynes. And uh, you watch Caleb Downs, it's not like the dude had five scooping scores yesterday, didn't have two pick sixes. He just, it's so obvious. It oozes off of your screen. He just got it. Instinctive, twitchy, good ball skills, good speed. So fluid, looks like he's been doing it forever. Their signing class this past year was bordering on the highest rated of all time. And I think it may end up being a, well, I don't think, I know it'll end up being a huge impact class for them this year. I just wonder how many of them are going to end up starting. Their secondary also is a, is a unit. It's an entire facet of that team that's let them down at times this past couple of years. 
I don't want to overreact to a spring game, and I don't want to overreact to spring practices. But man, if they got those guys healthy, the ones that are on the field, the ones you saw yesterday, and if those guys are in the right positions, which they haven't always had the luxury of doing the past couple of years, they could be really good. Kool-Aid McKinstry is a first-round draft pick at corner. Uh, Terry and Arnold's a guy that I've particularly been high on. His second full year starting at the other corner spot. But man, Caleb Downs is going to start as a true freshman at safety. They've got Malachi Moore back there, but which allows you to put guys like Earl Little and Christian Story in those money and those dime spots. Again, it's, it's always wonderful if no one gets hurt. They are deep in the defensive secondary and could be really, really good there. I just, I always flash back to like images of Jalen Hyatt running free in Alabama secondary. They play some good teams again this year. They do every year. I, I think that they are much more well off in the secondary and style of play. You know, that's what I took away from the spring game yesterday. Just the style of play overall. I think we'll revert back to a lot more physical brand of football. Uh, the stuff you used to see Bama do, I'm not saying you're going back to John Parker Wilson style, but I'm saying you're going back to a lot more of what made Bama what you came to know it as. And that's why I'm not going to sit here and freak out about quarterbacks. With them, knowing the players they have on that roster, I'm not freaking out about quarterback. Because Also, I think the quarterbacks are going to be good. Like one of them is going to be really good, plenty good enough to win with. They're watching us in French Camp, Mississippi, Las Vegas, Nevada, and Georgetown, Texas. And for that, we appreciate it. Colin, yeah, I think this is it. I think I'm just going to do the one cough per show. I'll give you a countdown. Three, two, one. Yeah, yeah, that clearly did it. Okay, so we're good to go now. Sip from the chalice out of celebration. Did, um, did you guys watch the Oklahoma spring game at all? Because Brent Venables cut a promo. I mean, it was, it was like Dusty Rhodes in the Omni before Flair comes down the aisle. It was, a, it was a heck of a promo. I have a quote here, because in the interest of time, we're not going to play it for you, but picture Brent Venables, head coach at Oklahoma, just pacing back and forth on the field in front of 54,409 Sooner fans, and he made this quote. For the naysayers who say support and attendance for a spring game doesn't matter, it's because they have a program that doesn't. <clears throat> Brent Venables, paid state material quote right there. Paper pop quote. He's absolutely right. I think I said that about Oklahoma last year, come to think of it. So he may have even stole that from me. I don't care, though. It's fine. I didn't TM it. I didn't trademark it. It's his. He is right about that. That's a whole nother conversation. It's a whole nother topic. Uh, but. People who say spring attendance has no bearing on the program. You've never spoken to recruits who experience it. I don't know what else to tell you. It matters. It matters. And, and Venables is right. Normally, the folks who are saying it doesn't matter are saying it because they can't get anyone to show up. And therefore, they're kind of sort of irrelevant. I don't know if he was aiming that at anyone. But yeah, I agree with him. So anyway, what happened in this game? Well, Dylan Gabriel, who is uh, presumably the starting quarterback there. He was last year, 12 of 18. 139 yards, three touchdowns for whatever spring stats are worth for you. Quarterback depth is what I wanted to see. I know Dylan Gabriel. I know what he can do when he's healthy, but I wanted to see some Jackson Arnold, the true freshman, elite 11 finals winner, Jackson Arnold. And he played, and as is usually the case with a true freshman, wearing a blue jersey in a spring game, it was up and down. He started off slow, had a good final drive. They brought him in, I think, for the final drive and had a really good showing. Not everyone's ready in week one. I want to remind you of this. So sometimes when we're looking at true freshmen or, or players, period, but especially when we're looking at true freshmen in spring, when we're listening to practice reports from fall camp about true freshmen, everyone has week one as the finish line, right? They look at, they look at week one, and when they're talking about whether you can start or whether you're going to be ready, it always leads up to week one. Well, sometimes a true freshman clicks in week four. Sometimes a true freshman hits that critical line in the sand that is the minimum baseline to get him on the field in a meaningful role in week six. And so with Jackson Arnold, now you don't handle the quarterback position like this, but what I'm saying is with Jackson Arnold, if you watched him yesterday, you probably didn't say, bring, bring on our week one opponent. 
Let's head, let's let's take him out there and split reps with the ones. He's ready to go. Of course you didn't think that. You may not think it come week one or three or five. Jackson Arnold is eventually going to be good enough to win you games, whether it's this year or next year, whatever. But I have a suspicion that they're going to get into their schedule this year. And there's going to eventually come a time. Sometimes it's out of a bye week. Sometimes it's not. But there's going to eventually come a time where all of a sudden you start hearing practice reports about how the lights really come on in the past two weeks or so for Jackson Arnold. And he's really, he's found a different gear. How many times do you hear that kind of phrasing? You may hear it with him. Now, this is not exclusive to Jackson Arnold. I say this a lot about quarterbacks, especially, who aren't being counted on to start. Drew Aller at Penn State. You heard that about him last year. Not ready to go in week one. He had to play in week one, but you didn't hear, you didn't hear, oh, he's ready to be the face of the program in week one. But as the weeks went on, you just start hearing a little bit more buzz, a little bit more buzz, a little bit more buzz out of practice. I guarantee you that's how Jackson Arnold is going to be this year. Defense was the clear winner. That is a headline that is a welcome change. Anybody who watched Oklahoma last year knows this to be the case. Do I need to do it? I think I need to do it once more. The defensive horror for Oklahoma last year, 99th in the country, points per game allowed, 119th pass yards per game allowed, 106th rush yards per game. You get the picture. If you're listening on podcast, trust me, it's bad. If you're watching on YouTube, there it is on the screen right there, TVMA special, Oklahoma's defense, year of our Lord, 2022, which brings us to yesterday. Defense looked pretty good. Now, they were going against a poverty offensive line that was missing multiple starters, and they will rectify that. They will be a whole lot better version of themselves come fall than they were yesterday. So I don't want to overreact. It's it's one of the cardinal sins, right? Don't overreact to spring games. But their defense looked good. And a couple of names that stood out, including one that we focused a lot of our attention on, Deshaun McCullough. When we were doing our transfer portal intel, McCullough was one of the names that I told you to break out the red Sharpie and circle and just press down as hard as you can. The paper rips. Don't worry about it. You need to know this name. And he is a transfer from Indiana. And he was dynamite in his season at Indiana. And he is a guy kind of like kind of like gums out of North Texas goes to a lower tier school. Now, this time it's a Big Ten school but goes to a little bit lower tier school, balls out. It erases any kind of questions you may have had about him coming out of high school. And all of a sudden, you got a 6'5", 225-pound out of high school edge. Now, he's come in, and he was all over the place yesterday. So he's, a, he's an immediate impact guy. He's everything we thought he would be. Uh, Lewis at linebackers, like a sophomore linebacker, he had 11 tackles yesterday. Now, you may think if you look at the stat sheet, hey. There's another impact linebacker. I'm not so sure because the kid barely weighs 200 pounds, uh, but that's a, that's a blessing that one of the standouts statistically in your spring game on a defense that was terrible last year, you can afford to look at and say, nice spring game, go put on some weight and then come back and, and we'll talk. I, I don't think that he will ride the bench all year. I'm just saying that is one area. 11 tackles, that's great, but 11 tackles notwithstanding, that's probably not a frontline linebacker for you which translates to depth being built in Norman. How much will that defense improve? That's the question. It will improve because statistically, and I can't believe I'm saying this, it can't get much worse than it got last year. But Peyton Brown, or Peyton Bowen, not Brown. Peyton Bowen, kind of the lost five-star, if that exists, from Oklahoma signing class. Five-star safety from Denton, Texas. Uh, He's going to start at safety for him. We got a Caleb Downs situation in Alabama. You got a Peyton Bowen situation in Norman. And the reason is, and follow me here because this is pretty advanced, he's just better. He's just too good to keep off the field. Did I lose anyone with that explanation? I'm sorry. It got deep there for a second, community. It got deep, but um, he's good, man. So you're getting a lot of of verification on a lot of these highly rated guys they brought in. Uh, They did not have a formidable offensive line yesterday, so I'm not making too much out of this, but I want to reemphasize For those of you who think that there's a lot of panic out there, and for those of you who think because they were woeful and were hovering around 500 that there's a lot of of panic and a lot of rethinking the Brent Venables hire, maybe outside, not inside the walls, 
That's why the mood tracker around Oklahoma was clear the mechanism. The outside noise doesn't matter. What people in Austin or Manhattan or Nashville, for that matter, are saying about your head coach doesn't matter. That energy you brought yesterday matters. Him walking around with the mic in his hand, cutting the promo on the field, it matters to me. But ultimately, acquiring the talent they've had the past couple of cycles, portal and recruiting, and improving this year, if they do that, none of that noise matters anyway. And they still have full confidence. As far as I can tell, they still have full confidence in their guy there. All right, let's move on. <laughs> I had something written down I can't say out loud. I'm sorry. It just, it's that way sometimes. Uh, let's, let's talk about LSU for a second. Ah, people texting me during the show. You know, you think you know people until they text you during the only time of week that they're not supposed to text you. LSU had their spring game yesterday. I have taken a random sampling of the country. And it seems like there's a thought about LSU that goes a little bit of something like this. They caught lightning in a bottle in 2022. They may fade a little bit in 2023. I don't know if you have felt that way. I don't know if you have experienced that. And I'm not talking about LSU fans. I'm saying outsiders. The outside noise that you're supposed to block out. I've gathered some of that about LSU, which is interesting. We'll talk about it in a second. Uh, DB is something that everyone's been focused on down there. So defensive back, they just they got an entire secondary pretty much out of the portal. And uh, it was a work in progress yesterday. It has been a work in progress all spring. And I cautioned you guys that this is not going to be some finished product at the end of spring. Anyone who thinks that is setting themselves up for disappointment. I think they were down a couple of starters even within that group yesterday. They had a bunch of defensive linemen out. So the the version that got put out there yesterday, not exactly the version they hope to start in week one against Florida State, but they leaned heavily on the portal, work in progress. I probably have a, a net of a little bit more concern about the secondary coming out of spring than I had going in, but it's not like a you know panic button level of concern. It's just, let me keep an eye on it level of concern. The best case scenario was going to be things look promising. That was going to be the best case. When you go get all those guys out of the portal, you got a bunch of coaching turnover and all that stuff. That's the best case. So this is pretty much just like par for the course normal when you consider what they went and did. But what is obvious is why Brian Kelly did not take too long to announce that Jaden Daniels is going to be a starting quarterback, which I found a little peculiar. Peculiar. Shouldn't be a hard word to pronounce. When they were coming out of the bowl game, he just went ahead and said, yeah, Jaden Daniels is going to be our starter. And I'm like, whoa, hold on now. Maybe he is, but do we really want to be announcing that? And uh, Brian Kelly, well, he didn't answer me. But Brian Kelly did not hesitate. And there's a reason. Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback they have. So, you know, that's pretty much cut and dry. He was 10 of 11 yesterday, 168 yards, two touchdowns. But then Garrett Nussmeyer looked pretty good too. Five of eight, 139, two touchdowns. It's a good quarterback situation right now. Remember, Walker Howard transferred to Ole Miss. They got a pretty good quarterback situation. Uh, it's a different level of trust, though. When you watch Jaden Daniels play now, I don't know what it is. I'm not a quarterback's coach, I, but I would venture to think that they would listen to me say, does he look a little bit more trusting? Does he look like he's a little bit better fit in this offense? Does he look like he's processing things? Does the offense just feel like it's flowing a little bit more smoothly? They would probably listen to me say that and say, yeah, yeah, you're actually right, and here's why. And then they would talk for an hour. So I think I'm right about that. And Brian Kelly obviously does because he named him the starter like months ago. Two names that I think are very, very integral to that panning out, to Jaden Daniels at quarterback being all he can be. Uh, one of them is Noah Kane at running back, who had a good day yesterday, and who Brian Kelly called one of the sleepers of that team right now. Uh, tailback has been an area of concern for several years at LSU, so if, if he's all of a sudden ready to take it up a level, that's nothing but good news. And Kyron Lacey at wide receiver had a good day yesterday. And that's important because if what I saw from him yesterday is who he is, that's a three-headed monster at wide receiver outside of a couple of places in the country, the likes of which no one else can match. And those kinds of places are like Columbus, Ohio. So uh, they're in a really good position at LSU right now. That team can be a very high-variance team. 
Because also at the end of spring, you're listening to Brian Kelly talk and, and people are feeling pretty good. And you always want to know what's the area or two that you're going to focus on. And he said, well, our Achilles heel could be depth. And that's not just one position. So anytime you have a team like LSU and you just don't get injured, they're capable of doing really special things. This, this team could go to the playoff. If you were to tell me they're not going to get really banged up badly this year, that is a playoff caliber team that they have. But this is the real world. Injuries do happen. And you got to hope and you got to pray that it doesn't disproportionately bite one position group more so than the others because we play 12 of these things and about six or seven of them are going to be pretty nip and tuck, one possession point spreads. And if all of a sudden you have a gutted interior offensive line or you've got a gutted cornerback room, that's the difference in 11 and one and seven and five, eight and four. And that's the way it works. And no one cares about those excuses. And that's why you start in spring. It's very smart by Brian Kelly. Starting in spring saying, hey, it's okay to feel good, but just know we, we do have an Achilles heel and it's depth. It's depth. That's what we got to worry about. He's not wrong. He's not wrong, but he's got a pretty good team. I would say if I were to just, if I were to measure this team against the one they had last year, this team right here should be better than the one they had last year. And the one they had last year won the West. So that's no guarantee it's some repeat or bust. But the college football playoff national title odds in the SEC, I mean, you got Georgia, Bama, LSU. Those are the one, two, three in the SEC. And nationally, it's Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, Michigan, USC, and then LSU sixth. So they are right up there in that conversation. If anyone was arguing with me and you disagree and you think I'm just I'm just pumping LSU's tires. Well, I'm doing it along with the guys who built those big buildings out there in Las Vegas. Uh, they tend to agree as well. So really high variance program, though. Really interesting program to watch this year. All right, let's talk about something fun here for a second. Not that LSU is not fun, but where were you when the Colorado spring game was going on yesterday? So, uh, Colin, I, w I wouldn't end it there. I would endpoint it here. Colorado has their spring game yesterday. This was like one of those bar or restaurant double-take specials. And if you've ever experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. Let's say, you're, let's say you're over at a restaurant of your choice. You go to the bathroom. You're coming out of the bathroom. The TVs are on, but they're on mute. So all you can do is glance over and see what's on the TV. And all of a sudden, you glance over, and they're doing like a panorama shot of Boulder, Colorado, and it's sold out. They've got 47,000 plus in there amidst the snow and the cold, and it's the middle of April. That's enough to warrant a double take. I know because this happened to me yesterday. I couldn't watch it live. I had to watch the replay. And yes, yes, here we are. We're in a world where I make it a point to go watch replays of the Colorado spring game. What a spectacle this was. What a spectacle. So Deion Sanders accomplished everything he wanted to do with that. Couldn't control the weather. And that's, that's about the only thing that didn't go right yesterday because uh, everything else went right. How about the kickoff, by the way? Kickoff was great. As was the hat that Deion Sanders wore. So Deion had a couple of quotes afterwards. And one of them he kept going back to. And I think he said it in the broadcast, maybe. I don't know if they interviewed him because I watched the, the cut-ups of the snaps of the game. But he said, I saw good things from guys I expected to see good things from. And he said a version of that like two or three times. And basically what that was, what that was translated to was, yeah, the guys I brought here played pretty well. The guys who I was saddled with were uninspiring. And you won't see them much longer. Which goes back to this conversation that we had when he got there. And we've had it another couple of times since then, and we're going to have it in very short time. We're going to have it again because there is a lot of roster movement that's about to happen out there, and it is the new world of college football. And I sat here. I sat here when you guys wanted to inject NIL and wanted to inject the portal, and you waved the banner of the players' rights era. And I sat here, and I said, all right, sounds, sounds good with me. Just understand what you're getting into. And no one ever asked, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, this is what I mean. If you're going down that road, 
I'm fine with it. I have offered no resistance. But you got to understand, you're not a boy. When you're playing in that world, you're not a boy. You're not a student athlete anymore. You're a grown man. And you're going to, for lack of a better term, be treated as an employee would. And so you get all that freedom of choice, and therefore so does your employer. Now, I know we're not supposed to be using that word, but why not? It's coming down the road pretty imminently anyway. And so you, you want the freedom to move around. You, you want to you say things like, well, coaches move all the time. Why can't players? They can. Coaches get fired too when they don't do a good enough job. Coaches get axed. So you want to live in the world coaches live in. You want to make money. You want to profit off your NIL. That's cool. That's fine. It's not all ice cream. There is, there is some downside. There's some flip side to this coin you got to deal with. And some kids on that Colorado roster are about to find out. And some of them already have. So that was one thing that stood out to me. The other thing that is always fascinating, and with Colorado, it's been this way all spring, is the needle mover effect. This happens in pop culture, it happens in politics, it happens in sports. It is just always mind-blowing to me, because I get to see some of the numbers, that there are people out there who the mere mention of their name stops traffic. There are people out there who their mere showing up to an event stops traffic. And, and the mere mention of them in a headline or in an article, it's like a magnet to the eyes or the ears. Everybody stops, even if you don't like them. They have that effect on you for some reason. And there are very few of them out there, but there are some. Like, you know, Bradley, you probably know that Zendaya performed at Coachella last night. It's a big deal. She's a needle mover. And, and I've long said Deion Sanders is college football's Zendaya, and he's proven me right at every turn. There were people watching the Colorado spring game yesterday who up until five minutes ago probably couldn't even tell you what city the University of Colorado is in. You certainly couldn't tell me the name of that stadium until yesterday. You probably had no clue what capacity was. Half of you were surprised it snows there in April. And yet there the, the eyes of the college football world were. Spring game at Colorado. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the science is behind it. I just know there are, there are a few needle movers in college football. And it's not just winning that accomplishes it. There's, there's this extra layer of, of persona. Uh, there's these characteristics that you have. There's personality. And there, there aren't many of them. Like Saban's obviously one. Um, Kirby's, let me give you an example. Kirby Smart's not one of those yet. And Kirby, you could make the argument he's number one in the sport right now. But I'm not talking about the guy who's winning at the highest level. I'm talking about the needle mover. It, it takes a little while to get that. Dabo is that. Dabo Swinney's got that. Harbaugh's got it more than Ryan Day does in the Big Ten. So maybe we're talking about longevity mattering a little bit more here. Uh, Dion's got it because you've known his name forever. Dion's got it. Colorado has got it. There is no bigger needle mover in the Pac-12. And, and there may not be a bigger one in college football, but there certainly isn't one that far west, west of the Mississippi, I would say, as Deion Sanders. Their schedule this year is what it is. I've already spoken my piece on this. Um, I, I was riding around my dad yesterday. He said, what's their over-under win total going to be? It's probably going to be juiced a little bit just because there are going to be some folks who take the over no matter what. So maybe like three and a half is my guess. I don't know what it's going to be. I, I was never really good at guessing that stuff. Those numbers aren't out yet, but they went one and 11 last year. So like three and a half or four or something like that. Uh, their odds to win the Pac-12 championship, ninth out of 12. Here we go. Year one for Deion Sanders. Could not have gone better yesterday though. I mean, we also, we also got to see some of the new guys. We got to see uh, Shadir Sanders touchdown to Travis Hunter. Deion saying Travis Hunter could be a top five draft pick. He could just pick either side of the ball. Is this, um, yeah, look at that. Oh, look at the throw. So yeah, we, we got to see a little bit of everything yesterday. Snow stopped just in time. We got to see a little bit of everything. Colorado football, dare I say, must watch TV one way or the other this year. Also, I don't want it to be lost on you that there was an Aflac banner in the end zone there as Travis Hunter scored. Does anyone know where Aflac's corporate headquarters are? Is it New York? Is it LA? Is it Chicago? Is it the logical fourth choice, Columbus, Georgia? Yes, it is. 
Aflac Tower, right there on Winton Road, driven by it a million times, including several times with Meemaw. All right, let's, uh, let's talk about Nebraska's spring game. Nebraska, 40 degrees, windy, miserable, didn't matter. 66,000 and change show up to Memorial Stadium. Big crowd anyway. They always do it right at Nebraska. I want to do an exercise with you for just a second. I want to stop. And I want you to just say this sentence out loud. Nebraska got Matt Rule. And then imagine saying it this time last year. Just exhibit one million and one about how many things change in this sport and how wild the changes are. We, we may have two of the wilder year-ago headlines, if you could fast forward, in all of college football in the Big Ten. Uh, Matt Rule's at Nebraska. And then Luke Fickle's at Wisconsin. Whomst amongst us? Homestead have seen it coming, and yet here it is. Jeff Sims at quarterback. Out of all these quarterback battles, I have this weird, morbid fascination. It's not morbid. I have this weird fascination with Jeff Sims and Casey Thompson. They got a couple other guys in the mix up there too. But I remember when Jeff Sims transferred from Georgia Tech to Nebraska, there were just some people who said, hey, hey, knock on the door. Hey, watch that one. I know Sims didn't light the world on fire at Georgia Tech, but we think it's a really good fit. That's the kind of guy that Matt Rule takes and just, just puts his form of polish on him. And all of a sudden, Jeff Sims is in these conversations you never thought he'd be in. And uh, well, yesterday, he was 9 of 13, 139 yards. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a light the world on fire performance, but it's easy to see. There were a couple of there were a couple of eyebrow-raising plays and eyebrow-raising throws that made you say, oh, wait, can he do that consistently? Now, he didn't in the spring game, but could he do that consistently? Because if he could, Nebraska could, could go to a bowl game next year. Matt Rule afterwards said something he said a few times about Sims. He said, he is a passer who happens to run a 4-4. That's how they view him. Not a, it's not a run-first guy. He just happens to have elite speed, but he's not a run-first guy. I'm very interested. I think the receiver core is probably underrated. I am very interested to see what they end up doing with him. I think he's going to end up being the starter. There's a very, very fun conversation amongst Husker fans going on right now about whether it'll be him versus Casey Thompson. I'm always looking at these young guys in spring games, though. Uh, Prince Wall Uman Millen. I said it as fast as I could. He is a 6'4", 225-pound edge guy. Now. When I say 225 pounds, that's what he came out of high school as. They plan on playing him at 250 this fall. He's an, he's an edge rusher. Four tackles, three tackles for loss, a sack, a pass breakup yesterday, all over the field. They think they hit a home run with him. And he is testing the limits of how much weight one can gain between early enrolling and his true freshman year. Because 225 to 250 is a chore, but it's doable. And I think he may very well get there. I think he's already playing at like 240 pounds. So we didn't have that much further to go. Uh, they fumbled the ball eight times yesterday. I said it was cold. It was kind of miserable. Eric Gilbert, I had forgotten, had transferred to Nebraska. And I'm watching. And I think he had a couple of drop balls yesterday. I think he's running as their third tight end. This is a former five-star guy. LSU, Georgia, uh, now Nebraska. There may have been another stop along the way. I, I just a very, very strange career there. But it's nice to at least look at Nebraska and know that they've gotten the car turned around. Like one of the classic scenes in Dumb and Dumber is I'm going to take a nap. Here, you take the wheel, you drive, and they're out in Denver, I think. And so they, they just take a right instead of a left and they drive for eight hours. And so there's a big difference. You can go a long way in eight hours. You, you wake up in California versus waking up in like the middle of the Great Plains. And there it is. You drove a sixth of the way across the country in the wrong direction. That is what the Scott Frost era felt like. We thought we were going the right way. And we find out that John Denver's full. You know what he's full of. And, and here we are. It, they're not, not mountains anywhere. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. Well, we went the wrong way. But at least we got the car turned around now. Or in that case, you traded in for a motorized scooter. But at least you're going the right way now. It's going to be a long and winding road. Going to be some downs before there's some ups, I would argue. 
This team's probably equipped to do a little bit more in year one than Matt Rule's teams were at Temple or Baylor. So we may not have to settle for a two or three win season this year, but at least things are going the right way. Can we at least agree on that? I think we can. All right. I think the producer Jesse Memorial Show that is only being done because he's sick, nothing more, went well tonight. Belchie stepped in flawlessly. Actually, we'll have to grade the tape, but it went pretty well. Director Colin just battling in there as always. We appreciate you guys. We'll be, we'll be back here Tuesday night. The draft is on Thursday, and it's just, just whatever between us and the NFL at this point. So we'll be back Tuesday night. Until then, have a great start to your week. And for everyone here, I'm Josh Pate. Take care and God bless.